What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, New York is not dead, say New Yorkers, but what about the companies based in the Big Apple? CNBC's Robert Frank. But New York's recovery and its future depends a lot on office workers, and that is the big unknown. Real estate mogul Jeff Blau says it sure as hell is coming back. This year has been the biggest sales velocity since 2013 in New York City. It's a pretty remarkable rebound. And it's really New Yorkers. Hollywood is plotting its own comeback. The CEO of Endeavor, which represents tons of stars, the agent's agent, Ari Emanuel. I think we've all learned how to operate inside the virus. And you now have six super competitors, whether it be Disney, Warner's Discovery. They're all bidding for content. And the latest COVID headlines, we're talking booster shots, the Fed, and the little things that get us through. On the highway, I saw a DraftKings advertisement. I looked around in my car to my family and I said, It's Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And welcome back, guys. Good to see you. It's great to see you. Good to see you uh, as well. I'm here. Punchy, little punchy. I noticed already. Going off script a little? No, it could be a semi to my right in my blind spot. No, uh, just a, a little bit punchy. Long drives, the asphalt. I'm an I-95 cowboy. I know every every speck of asphalt uh, all the way down. And I, I can tell you, you know, I got the adaptive cruise control, so I, I can move my right leg. That's not the problem. <laughs> uh, previous times, I couldn't move my hip or my right leg. So, but, but that frees you up a little. But as we now know, autonomous driving. Should, I, I think it should be maximum what I do. I mean, I'm there. I'm ready. I'm controlling Basically, things. Basically, cruise control is, is the most that we can really qualify Adaptive for Adaptive cruise right control, as we yeah. now know. Yes. It, with, with the Tesla investigation. <laughs> with some of the Tesla. And uh, seeing what's happening. There it is. And there you uh, go. Calm, cool, and relaxed as always. A little I, punchy this morning, so maybe we should get you a cup of you coffee. You ever had a horn replaced, either one of you? I have had oh. horns replaced. Have, have, have what? Horns replaced? I, no. I have a had horn a horn replaced. Replaced. I don't think I've ever used my horn. I've definitely used I know. it. You're so, I know, you're so timid, <laughs> as we know. Anyway, welcome back. Yay. Gangs all together. Let's talk booster shots, because that's where the news is moving right now. The Biden administration uh, saying that plans to recommend that most people in the United States end up getting a booster shot. This after eight months, that would be after your second dose. It's according to multiple media reports saying uh, that the administration is uh, planning for that guidance. It would only apply, though, right now to two shot regiments from Pfizer and Moderna and would take effect as early as mid-September if it goes into effect. That would put healthcare workers and nursing home residents at the front of the lines uh, for boosters. Um, and uh, then, of course, the question will be um, who comes after them and at what speed all of this 
happens, guys. The other question is, when are you going to see vaccines authorized for kids under age 12? Um, as a parent of a couple of those kids, I'm obviously concerned about it. Um, I was thinking maybe October we'd be able to do this because, remember, Pfizer had its data and said it would be turning in that initial data by September. So I thought maybe by October you could get your first vaccine on all of these things, maybe be immunized by uh, by Thanksgiving. The FDA is asking for those studies to be expanded, right. and it's now looking at the, the mid, mid to late winter. So maybe February you're talking about at this point. And that's a scary prospect if you're trying to figure out how to keep your kids safe between now and then, especially with the rise in the Delta variant. Got home pretty early, and uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of uh, cable news or anything. And uh, it, I guess it takes a pretty big thing to move COVID off the... Uh, off the, the headlines in the front page. I turned on TV yesterday, Andrew. I didn't hear Delta or COVID for like six hours straight on any. It's because we were talking Afghanistan. Might have been something else that was uh, that, that uh, yep. took precedence. But it's amazing that that we can actually and somehow. What do we do? Put it on the back burner or it's not. Uh, I mean, really, there was no coverage. There was no coverage for, for 10 hours that, uh, yesterday. Amazing. Yesterday, August 16th, was a banner day for the markets. The Dow and S&P both closed at record highs. And here's something interesting. The S&P benchmark closed up 100.2% from its COVID closing low on March 23rd, 2020. That is the fastest bull market doubling off a bottom since the Second World War. These gains, and, and at such speed, came as the Federal Reserve launched and maintained a massive emergency bond buying program. That kept rates low while the government pumped trillions of dollars into the economy through relief spending. Yesterday, we told you that the Fed is starting to consider a timeline for tapering, for drawing down the amount of bonds bought each month, which is currently at about $120 billion. Let's get back to Joe. One of these days, maybe, Andrew, I figure the Fed, what they say, three months might start pulling back a little. I, I, that's, you know, throw up my hands. That's all I can figure would, would eventually maybe lessen the, what seems to be just relentless upward pressure every day. I mean, yesterday again. Well, but you tell me, you tell me what you think the jobs report is at the end of this month, because I, I think there's a possibility it isn't as good as we want it to be. And then I, I don't know if we're back in the soup and people are having a whole different conversation all over again. <laughs> I will tell you, Andrew, if this gig doesn't work out, uh, we both can get a job just about anywhere we stopped uh, for the last two weeks. Anywhere. I'm not kidding. <laughs> anywhere. I hop. McDonald's, uh, any of, yeah, Wendy's. Well, not just fast food, at, uh, anywhere in, in the, you know, at the, the, any of the places that we went. And sometimes the t there's a lot where like, what do you mean we can't get a table? There's tables everywhere. And they say, we can't, we don't have bus, or we don't have people to step, right. we don't have weight, we don't have this, we don't have that. It's amazing. It really is amazing that, that we're, we're definitely below the potential where we could be. Um, but who oh, knows sure. whether this maybe sure. this Delta thing starts matching up supply and demand again uh, for the places that that uh, that can't serve everyone who wants to come airlines, everything else. Let's talk China, because overnight uh, China market regulators issuing draft rules aimed at stopping unfair competition on the Internet. The rules cover a wide range of issues from limits on the ways companies can use data to eradicate fake product reviews. They would prevent companies from misrepresenting the number of clicks on a piece of content and prevent them from traffic hijacking, which is redirecting users to their own website 
uh, while they're using a browser from another. Now, check out uh, some Chinese tech stocks this morning. They're falling across the board. Alibaba off close to 5% this morning, Tencent off a little over 4%. You can look down the list there, J.D., Uh, at about 3.5%, and then Baidu off over more than 5% right now. But the crackdown on big tech in China continuing, and I have to imagine that if you're a U.S. tech company, you're thinking, this is great. Maybe. What do you think? I don't know. Um, I I think. I can't imagine any other view. I mean, maybe I don't think they want to say that out loud. Well, unless you're Uber and you own a stake in one of those companies. That's true, too. But I have to say the regulations that they're talking about today, pretty different than the ones we've heard to this point. You know, things like you can't hide or lie about the, the reviews that are out there. Like, OK, it doesn't sound like too terrible of a crackdown. You're right. This is just more of an overall big picture. But th- these aspects of it are, are probably less concerning than the ones Look, we've seen before. Some of these rules I actually like. I'd, but I'd if, we tried to, if we tried to if we if we tried to propose these rules in the United States, people would go out of their brains. Right. Most of the time you hear the the rules that are coming out of China, you think, okay, this is pretty onerous and pretty ridiculous. Stuff like this, it's a hard time fighting. You can't lie to your customers about what people say about you. You can't promote yourself over everybody else. Like, okay. Hey, Becky, guess which state legalized online gambling recently? Georgia. No. New Jersey. so, So I was there the entire time not doing anything. And I was okay. I was okay. And I had ended on a high note before I left at, at doing really well. Um, but we got to Virginia, where, oh. we, where we stayed over. And I saw on the highway, I saw a DraftKings advertisement. <laughs> and and I, your I whole vacation in my car. turned around. It was okay to be coming back home. I looked around in my car to my, to my family and I said, oh, I go, if they advertise it, is it? Li-? So we looked it up and they did. And I, I made a, a bet on the Dodgers and had a big win that I got to watch at the Outback Steakhouse. Did you win five uh, bucks or ten? In Chester. I wagered, I don't remember on that. I think I won $21 because I think I did the over. Big I did spender. the over and uh, I wagered $8 and 121. I remember. I took, I, I mean, that's a lot for me because I hadn't done it in a while. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Bright Lights, Big City. We're a year after an infamous op-ed claiming New York is dead. Jerry Seinfeld's rebuttal. The CEO of one of New York's biggest landlords, related companies, Jeff Blau. New York is not dead, and I think it's coming back. And I think it'll be back better than ever. That sky-high view right after this. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Stand and by. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC, and we're in a New York state of mind with Joe, three, Becky, and Andrew two, today. One, two, Andrew. It was the headline struck at the heart of cities during the pandemic. New York is dead forever. Author investor James Alshur's op-ed that declared New York in a death spiral because, quote, businesses are remote and they aren't returned to the office, ended up leading Jerry Seinfeld to pen his celebrated appeal declaring that New York Sure as hell, we'll be back. So a year later, who was right? Robert Frank joins us with more. Robert. Good morning, Andrew. Well, Jerry Seinfeld's words 
still inspiring New Yorkers a year later with that hashtag NYC is not dead. And that, of course, was a response to all Tuchers op-ed saying that remote work, empty office buildings, boarded up restaurants and hotels, rising crime and high taxes would hollow out the city for years or decades. Now, who was right? Well, a year later, on the residential real estate side, that, that side, that has rebounded. Sales more than doubling over the past year. Prices almost back to pre-pandemic levels and new rentals having their best quarter in recent history. You look at restaurant traffic. That was down 89% a year ago from pre-pandemic. Now it's about half of those pre-pandemic levels. MTA subway ridership, it is improving, but it is still about half what it was pre-pandemic. Hotel occupancy now at around 67%. That compares to about 40% a year ago. So improvement there as well. But New York's recovery and its future depends a lot on office workers. And that is the big unknown. There was 47 million square feet of empty office space in Midtown as of the first quarter. And then if you look at rental rates, they are down 9% from a year ago. A year ago, only 12% of New York City workers were back in the office. Now it is 23%. And guys, with the Delta variant, we thought people would come back in uh, right after Labor Day. Now we're looking at mid-October maybe. So until we get those office workers back, until we know how many do come back, New York's recovery is still open to question. Guys? Hey, Robert, uh, before you go, that, that is the question. What, what percentage of people do we think are in the office right now in terms of white-collar workers in New York City? Do we have any idea? 23%. And again, that is double what it was a year ago. But I think a lot of people expected by now we would be a little bit higher. And, and the big unknown, the month of reckoning will be October. How many come back? How many days will they be back? And how much office space will be needed and paid for in New York? Hey, hey Robert, some of the statistics you were running through, you know, only 23% of office workers back. Subway ridership only at 50%. Um, there, there was hotel occupancy, I think you said 67% or something. It, what level do they have to hit to be profitable or to at least not continue to make losses? Well, you know, each business is different. Uh, the subway certainly needs to be higher than that, and it needs to be higher than that every single day. If hybrid is two or three days a week, will that work economically for the subway? The other issue for the sort of economic engine of New York City is taxes. You know, we're not going to get $22 billion in federal aid every year. Property taxes are the largest contributor to New York City's budget. They're going to be down 10% next year. So that's the longer-term question is, does that economic model for New York City continue to work if people are hybrid and if taxes continue to go down? Okay. Robert Frank, appreciate it. We're going to continue this conversation right now for more on real estate uh, in the great city of New York. We're joined by Related Company CEO Jeff Blau. Uh, who nearly, we should say, one year ago today wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal titled It's Time to Open New York's Offices, related, of course, one of the largest landlords in New York. So, Jeff, a year later, in your mind, given the stats we just heard, where are we? Well, good morning, Andrew. Um, well, I certainly agree New York is not, uh, is not dead, um, and I think it's coming back, um, and I think it'll be back better than ever. Um, so most of the stats you talked about were about people coming back to the office, and while we are today about 23, 25% occupied in the offices, that doesn't mean that you're 23, 25% leased. These units are, are leased to, to large companies. Uh, we do expect them to be back in the office. We expected them to be back in the office right after Labor Day. I do think with Delta, it's going to be pushed back a little bit. 
but people want to come back to New York. You know, the flight to Florida, uh, the flight to uh, different cities, I think is temporary. Uh, we're already seeing people come back today. We're signing leases uh, quickly here at Hudson Yards. Uh, we just signed Coinbase, uh, welcome them as a tenant at Hudson Yards. There are lots of companies that did well during uh, the pandemic and will actually be back in their offices. Uh, and we hope as this Delta kind of passes through here, uh, they'll be returning you know, as quick as possible. Schools are starting. Uh, people will be in masks. Schools are starting. That'll bring a lot of people back to the city. Um, but clearly that, that article um, that New York was dead was certainly not true. Jeff, uh, perhaps counterintuitively, uh, there has been an argument that perhaps big companies will end up uh, renting and leasing even more space to account for sort of a, a new work environment. I'm curious if you're seeing that and also what kind of reconfigurations you're starting to see, if there are any, um, around moving from either open floor plans to other kinds of uh, environments where people either are going to feel safer or because the, the, the work space itself is going to change because people are going to use it to come together, but maybe they're going to therefore work from home a couple of days a week. How do you think that, that that's starting to sh- shake out? Well, I, I certainly do think people are going to be taking more space. We've already seen it here. Almost every one of our companies at Hudson Yards is expanding today. Uh, so that that is definitely true. We haven't quite seen the modifications yet, just because I think time hasn't passed. But I think you will see more gathering spaces. I do think there'll be flexibility in the workplace. Uh, people might work, you know, partial week, partial at home. Um, and the office spaces will will be a place for people to get together and gather. And as new spaces get built out, I think you will see some of those changes um, in the physical in the physical office space. But I don't think it will decrease the total amount of square footages that companies have, because if someone works home on Friday, they still need office space you know, for the rest of the week. So right. I don't really expect a huge, a huge decrease in the total square footage. What are you having to do during this period? And I, I wonder whether you're still having to do it. I know a lot of landlords are, are ultimately subsidizing uh, some of the services in the business inside these biz, inside these buildings, uh, restaurants and the like and others to try to keep them in business during this period? And when you think some of that subsidies or other things might shift? So certainly the restaurants were the hardest hit as we as we made our way through this pandemic. Um, but as you know, it's not that easy to get a reservation in New York these days. So uh, restaurants are, are back and crowded. And so most of those subsidies or free rents have passed. Um, the biggest problem in the restaurants right now is getting workers. Um, they, they really... They haven't been able to restaff. And so as a result, you know, whether it's lunch or, or certain days, these restaurants can't stay open. Um, so we're hoping as some of the, uh, some of the subsidies burn off uh, for the for workers um, to stay home, that they'll actually be able to rehire and retrain workers because that's really what we need. We need the restaurants back open. Um, they are back and able to pay rent. The demand is, is certainly there today. Jeff, long term, do you imagine that buildings like yours are going to have either some kind of testing on site for for clients or or, or tenants, if you will, um, or or some kind of system? I mean, I I know that everyone's using this Excelsior Pass now in New York to get into restaurants and things. Does that transfer over to offices? Are there going to be systems that you think landlords are going to have to put in place that are either around COVID or other or, or other health matters? So we we uh, we created a joint venture with Mount Sinai 
uh, health systems where uh, people have access to a testing center on site uh, for all of our office buildings. We've also recently uh, made it mandatory for all uh, related employees to be vaccinated. Uh, and we strongly encourage our tenants to do the same. Most of them have have done that. Um, and so that will become that will become effective as as of the end of this month. And so the idea is that we're really creating a safe and secure, healthy workplace for our tenants and our employees. And uh, we expect that'll be make a big difference coming back post post Labor Day. Hey, Jeff, I don't know if you heard Robert's report right before you, but he was talking about how residential real estate um, is almost back. The, the real estate sales are almost back to the same level they were pre pandemic. But he, but he said when it comes to commercial real estate, they're still down nine percent from even where they were a year ago. And that was, of course, down from pre pandemic really significantly. Does that reflect what, what you see at related companies, too? Yeah, I do think I do think most of those stats um, were accurate. I give him good marks this morning for his facts, um, but I'll, I'll give you um, some interesting ones around residential. So our, our rental portfolio at the worst of the pandemic was down to eighty three percent occupancy from a typically almost essentially one hundred percent, and plus giving concessions. So a pretty pretty significant drop as people fled the city. Today we're at ninety nine percent occupied, no concessions, and rents are. are are basically back to where they were pre-pandemic. And that all happened in the last six weeks or so in anticipation of people being back to work post-Labor Day. So a huge signal, um, you know, on the rental front, on the for sale product, the condos, um, we have had this year has been the biggest sales velocity since 2013 in New York City. It's it's a pretty remarkable rebound. And it's, it's really New Yorkers. It's local buyers. Obviously, we don't have a lot of tourists here and a lot of international travelers. So I think all indicating uh, a move back to New York City post-Labor Day, very strong. But the commercial on, side. On the office side, yeah. as, as, on the office side, as you mentioned, um, that's lagged a little bit as people decide what to do. We are touring. So our, our, our visits and people that want to see space is back over pre-pandemic levels. And leases are just getting signed now. So there is a slight drop in rental rates around where you're talking about. Um, but we expect that to dissipate shortly. And then, Jeff, finally, take us behind the scenes, if you could. I imagine you're having conversations with lots of tenants and others around the country who are thinking about when to bring people back to work. Um, a number of big tech companies, including Facebook and Amazon, have said, you know what, we're doing it January 22. We're not even, we're not even going to. Uh, deal with the, the the brain damage, if you will, of what may or may not happen this fall. So we're just going to set, set a date that's a couple months from now. There's a lot of other firms, mostly in New York, who are saying, you know what, October is likely, or at least maybe late October, early November. What what are you hearing right now in terms of how people are approaching it? The Wall Street firms seem to be more aggressive about getting people into the office than others. What do you think is driving the, just the different psyches of how managers are thinking about this? Right. So all, all the tenants were ready to go post Labor Day prior to Delta. So all the ones you mentioned, I mean, they've all concluded that the work from home doesn't really work. Right. Culture is defined in the office. Culture is defined as people gather innovation, new ideas all happen when people are together. Um, and so everyone was encouraging people to be back in September. And then obviously Delta's, you know, has come and, and kind of the concern has escalated uh, once again, and so you saw people push October or January. I do think as soon as possible, people are going to really insist that people are back in the office, are vaccinated. You know, at the moment we're we're masked in the office, 
Um, but I, I do think that to get into these buildings, to go back to work, people are going to insist upon mandatory vaccination. I don't think it's going to be an option. But Jeff, the, one, the reason I ask is people are being masked in the office. And I wonder whether you think at some point, maybe it's once kids are vaccinated or there's a view that a booster shot is going to give enough protection, especially to older people. Will there just be an acceptance um, or even uh, bosses that are just going to say, you know what, you may come back to the office. You may get you may even get sick. It's possible you may get sick. But given that everybody's vaccinated, uh, hopefully there's not going to you know, you're not going to end up in the hospital. You're not going to end up uh, uh, with with worse outcomes. I mean, how do you think that that whole conversation takes place? I, I, I agree. I, I think um, certainly the kids are the last piece here. Um, but I, I think this will be this is not going away anytime soon. Um, this is going to be with us for a while and people need to get back to work, get back to their normal life. Um, and so I think once people are vaccinated, it's going to be a little bit and the kids can get vaccinated. It's going to be a little bit just like the flu. You know, you might get it. You'll get a shot every year. You might get it and you'll get sick for a couple of days and kind of go back to work and go back to it. Um, but people won't be dying. People won't be in hospitals. Um, it's just going to be part of part of our normal life. And if we have you know, a strain like Delta, then there'll be a period when we're wearing masks again in the office. I think that's going to be the new normal. I think that's where we're headed. Okay. Jeff Blau, always good to see you get your perspective on all of it. And uh, we're all rooting for New York. Boy, are we rooting for New York. We're all rooting for New York. Cheese will be next. So New York isn't dead and maybe neither is Hollywood. Next on Squawk Pod, we're headed for the ring. Ari Emanuel, Endeavor CEO, they own the Ultimate Fighting Championship on entertainment and why content is still king. The UFC is having its best year in the first six months in the history of the sport. Every metric is up, whether it be sponsorship, international sales are um, over 100%. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And U.S. equity futures this morning got a bit of the uh, feels like a Monday, doesn't it, uh, Andrew? For us, uh, it feels like <laughs> Not a for yeah, us. M- Monday on steroids. Uh, <laughs> feels like a Monday it, for me. Yep. That's what I mean. You weren't here and I was out for I don't even know how long. I don't remember how long I was out, but I was out. I'm back now. No, uh, you know, all you people that thought I retired. Sorry to say, no, you know, no, I did not. No, most of them were like, God, I hope you didn't. And uh, you don't have to worry about that. Google Andy Rooney. Google Andy Rooney. See when he left. Hollywood heavyweight Endeavor out with its second set of quarterly results since going public earlier this year. Endeavor owns Ultimate Fighting Championship, and it represents some of entertainment's biggest stars, people like Dwayne Johnson, Holly Berry and Matthew McConaughey. And while the company posted a roughly $300 million net loss, it did raise its earnings and revenue guidance for the full year. CEO Ari Emanuel said that Endeavor is firmly and uniquely positioned for what he sees as a strong second half of the year, when when he can safely say that uh, all of Hollywood is hoping it can get back to the business of entertainment. 
Joining us right now is Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel. Ari, um, it's good to see you. And uh, back. really big bounce back in the second quarter for all three of your major businesses. Yeah. Um, we raised our EBITDA and we raised our EBITDA guidance and revenue guidance for the end of the year. Um, and so we're feeling pretty bullish right now. What happened? I mean, it, it, we know pandemic shut down live events. There were all kinds of problems that came back from that. Are we back on normal footing at this point or is the Delta variant going to slow things down again? Well, here's what I'd say. Uh, in 2020, we did $3.4 billion. We hit our EBITDA numbers um, and we, ra- we raised our EBITDA numbers uh, for this, this quarter and we raised them for the end of the year and our revenue numbers for the end of the year. We've actually all learned how to operate, whether it be in content, whether it be in sports representation, our own sports like the UFC, inside uh, the, the Delta variant. And so from our perspective, we've taken this all under consideration, and that's why we raised our guidance on the second half of the year with regard to EBITDA and revenue. So we're feeling pretty um, bullish about our business. Um, I think people are beginning to operate in the live events business with people having to get vaccinated. Uh, In sports, people are understanding how to put sports on right now, which affects our IMG business, our representation business, our production business in the sports business, and our gaming business, gambling business, and that business. And also in the content business, um, we've understood and and figured out how to um, create content inside the COVID situation. So we're feeling pretty strong about it. You said some really bullish things last night on the earnings call. When it comes to competition and talent, you said you haven't seen anything like this in 26 years. Why is that? What's happening? Well, I think we've all uh, learned how to operate uh, inside uh, the virus. Um, And you now have six super competitors, whether it be Disney, soon to be um, Warner's Discovery, Apple, Netflix, um, uh, Amazon, now uh, Paramount+. Plus. And they're all bidding, as they said, for content. They've all raised their economics and how much they're going to spend. And uh, Netflix said it was up to $17 billion. I think that's up about 44%. And they all need talent to drive uh, new audiences to their services. And they've indicated that at the beginning they weren't able to do that. That's why some of their numbers fell down. But that has kind of increased the economics for content and for people that create content, whether it be actors, writers, directors, people behind the scenes. And that's a good thing for our representation business and for our own uh, Endeavor content. And for that reason, we're feeling very bullish about uh, the marketplace. And the bidding war has been insane across those platforms. Bidding war just in terms for, for getting new content? And, Get, and getting new content, the talent, everything. So prices are going up. And we've solved the economic issue. Um, recently, on Friday, we made an announcement. We, we figured out the Emma Stone deal with Disney. Warner Brothers, as you um, had put, I think, about 12 movies direct-to-consumer that were in their stable pre-pandemic. They paid out $200 million in back ends to talent. So the economics is getting sorted out, too. And our representation business is a very big part of our business, and that business has actually grown. We've raised our guidance this quarter and into the second half, so we're feeling very good. You made a pretty bold statement there. There are some big changes that are taking place in how top talent gets paid. And that's because as these businesses move to streaming, um, the, the, the deals have to be rewritten so that they, those top actors, top directors aren't getting paid off of the back end just from the, uh, the things that are shown in theaters. Um, 
it sounds like there's still a lot of friction there. I know the deal with Emma Stone was just cut, but what about Scarlett Johansson? Is that a one-off, or are there other talent that are feeling like they kind of got uh, ripped off by what happened over the last year or two? I'm not really sure about what the representative for Scarlett Johansson did or didn't do. That That's their issue. From our perspective, we've negotiated all three possible scenarios, whether it goes direct to the theater business, whether it's day-and-date theater and, and streaming or just streaming. There's probably a fourth iteration, lifetime value of a sub, but that's coming down the line. And every studio now knows that they have to do this. And that's what actually is what's happening. Talent is not not going to get paid. They're actually the driving force, the seeds that make all this happen. And they are getting paid because their competitors will pay them. Um, and that is what is happening. I am not really sure about the Scarlett Johansson situation, so you'll have to talk to their representative. Just in terms of, of what it means, though, that, that these dealers are going to change, it's really tough and tricky to see the future. What, what's your best guess, just in terms of those four iterations that you kind of laid out? What, where, where is the consumer moving? How are we going to see these things in the future? Well, you know, I would say William Morris is about a, over 100 years old. Uh, we started with vaudeville, radio, TV, movies. At every iteration, people say it was going to hurt one or the other. I think the pie is getting bigger. There's more definitions of what content is, and talent is always going to get paid in those situations. Um, and so I'm actually very comfortable in what that means for our company. Uh, the rest of the, um, the competitors, whether, you know, I'm, I'm distribution agnostic in these <laughs> situations, so, but for our represent, for our t- talent and our clients, we're going to negotiate very tough deals so that they get their economics, and we have. Endeavor content, I know that you guys have started shopping around uh, for the 80% of that, uh, the business that you're going to sell um, as part of the re- re- agreement that you reached uh, with the Writers Guild. Where are talks going at this point? What are you hearing? Because you see deals like Hello Sunshine get done with $900 billion valuation, and it makes people think, okay, what's happening? What's the market like right now? I have a smile on my face. Um, we just started the process. It's going good. We had several, you know, about less than a half a dozen meetings, but we're feeling very confident about what the outcome will be for that 80%, especially with the high demand. Again, it's a, probably one of the biggest independents out there. Um, you have vertical integrations at studios. They need to bring talent in. We would be, and Endeavor Condo was one of the only outside entities supplying um, we're feeling very good with that negotiation. I didn't want to sell it, but we're feeling very good about uh, what the outcome will be. Uh, Mr. Emanuel. Oh, boy. Um, I'm not surprised your, your representative business is doing well, because you represent some real talent, uh, including... You. In, <laughs> including you know, me. The real talent on the show is Becky, the only <laughs> one I don't represent on the show. <laughs> anyway, uh, with that uh, caveat... Before the pandemic, Ari, I, I was fascinated at, at the power centers in Hollywood that, that you represent and the way that, that Endeavor and WME were able to package things. Mm-hmm. And, and the writers, we talk about content and we did off camera a little bit because they're geniuses. And, and I don't know if they get paid enough, but, but they felt like they hadn't been. I look at Breaking Bad or something like mm-hmm. that. And I realized that, you know, the actors are important. But real content has to do with the writers. And it almost looked like those packages, you're representing two different sides that are involved in the, the negotiations. Almost as if sometimes you're, you're against some of the people you represent because you've got, you know, another hand that you're playing. And I thought that was going to change. But then the pandemic changed everything. 
how where is that situation stand right now? Is packaging going to be something you, you that's very lucrative and that you do in the future? And are writers going to be on board with that? Will, well, will it change? Well, first of all, in our prior writers, not the current one, it was agreed upon that we could package. And it's always been agreed upon that we could package. Uh, packaging will end. That's one of the restricted things that we cannot do any longer. Um, but the prior packages will exist, as you can see by, like, Peacock made a deal for the office, which was a package with a client of mine, Greg Daniels. So those will, prior ones will exist on a go-forward basis. That's part of the restricted area. Um, you know, we started out as a writer's company. We, we love being in business with writers. And so uh, we thought Endeavor Content was a good thing. They didn't. We made a deal. And we're now just moving forward. You know, UFC, uh, I love it. And... Maybe I'm not the perfect person uh, to talk about it, but but I really do worry in in the way we're moving as a culture and as a society that it's just, you know, we were worried about, you know, concussions in football and and concussions in in boxing. I watch UFC and the blood and and as woke as you are, do you ever question whether the the business model for UFC? I mean, did you see, uh, I know you saw it because you were in the front row. You saw Conor McGregor's, that was almost a compound fracture, and that probably would have boosted ratings. Well, here's what I would say to you. Tell me. um, We have less concussions in our sport because it gets stopped very quickly than boxing. All sports have injuries. Uh, We've had injuries in our sport, football, basketball, all sports have injuries. And it's, a, it's, it's actually a sport that's been around for 26 years, and there has never been a serious injury like in other sports. So we, we, we're comfortable in the sport, and we're constantly, we have a, a performance institute, we're constantly trying to improve uh, the, 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 the sport as it relates to safety. So, um, uh, and we will continue to do that. Well, I, I mean, very little can get me to stay up till midnight anymore. Uh, Maybe we'll get you to Vegas for a, for a pay-per-view. <laughs> very little gets me to stay up. But when, we, when I, I watched, and you know you can bet on DraftKings, and, and the women right. are, are amazing. The last one you had, the big uh, event for UFC, the one where, you, where I saw you, that was every fight uh, was, uh, was phenomenal watching well, you, it. You know, the interesting thing is the UFC is having its best year uh, in the first six months in the history of the sport. Every metric is up, whether it be sponsorship, international sales are um, over 100%. Um, we, you mentioned gaming. We've only actually, though, had three live events and we're significantly up in all categories. Also an own sports uh, category, which uh, is bull riding and, U- and international yep. basketball out of Europe. So the sports business in general is growing at a very nice clip right now. And we sit at either on the representation side or on the own side in a great position. And it is very bullish for the future. Thank you for joining us today. It's good to see you. And uh, hopefully we can all get back together in the studio soon. I look forward to it. Take Thank care. you very much, Becky. Thanks. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, who are interested in a lot of things. IHOP, McDonald's, Wendy's. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show and some fun right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.